Welcome to the Untold Civil War Podcast. Hope everyone has settled in for a great episode. Before we get started, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the greatest open air museum and our sponsor, Civil War Trails. Executive Director Drew Gruber has literally been working in the Buford mud to get signs up marking Uniontown, where slaves were able to live as free people during the occupation by Union troops. What an awesome mission. Please check out our sponsor using the link in the show notes to learn more about the historic sites in your neighborhood. And now, fill your pards tin cups with coffee and let's delve into some untold Civil War. Welcome to the Untold Civil War podcast. Today I'm with New York Times bestselling author Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade is the author of several books, including three I have beside me, Andrew Jackson the Miracle and the Miracle of New Orleans, Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pirates, and of course, George Washington's Secret Six. Kilmeade co-hosts the Fox News channel, channel's morning show, Fox and Friends, and hosts the daily national radio show, The Brian Kilmeade Show. Today we'll be discussing his new book, the President and the Freedom Fighter. This book tells the little-known story of how two American heroes, Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, moved from strong disagreement to friendship and in the process changed the entire course of history. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a real pleasure having you on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Just to get started, I've got to ask, where does your passion for history really come from? I just had some uh, great teachers. I, oh, it's, a, it's around you in Long Island with the spies and uh, there's so many battles that took place, so it was very real to me early on about American history. The spies thing I looked at for about 20 years, so I realized we could actually bring something new to the table because there were so many uh, resources. So I was able to put that together and then kind of moved up the ladder and tried to find other things in history that have not been uh, overdone, so to speak. Fantastic. And I think we should just uh, dive right into it. You know, from looking at the book, I see that both Lincoln and Douglas came from very different backgrounds. Can you discuss their early years and the obstacles they faced? Well, I mean, uh, one, it's, it's the American story in that, you know, you can, it doesn't matter where you start, you could accomplish anything in this country. And I think there's two severe examples in Lincoln and in Douglas. They're both born, uh, you know, terrible conditions. Douglas, obviously worse. Uh, slavery, didn't know his parents, never knew his father, not only took guesses on who his father actually was, mom may or may not have visited in the middle of the night, never even had a pair of pants on to, he was about eight years old. I mean, you could not be in more stark situations, but he was just determined to make something of himself. Uh, once he learned to read and write, all bets were off. He knew he couldn't live the life that he lived. And after one failed attempt, he finally escaped to freedom. Seven years later, he's one of the most famous people in the world as a lecturer and intellect. And for, for Lincoln, you know, his mom dies at the age of nine, born in object poverty. You know that both of his parents are basically illiterate and had to move at an early age, pick up stakes, work just about all day and night, one cumulative year of schooling. Who would think these two men uh, would lead us through our most difficult time? You couldn't pick up two, two more uh, unlikely heroes. Absolutely. Uh, it seems that However, you know, the type of people who pushed through those obstacles, you know, they really had that uh, determination to move forward and become successful. Early on in the war, despite coming from very harsh backgrounds and sort of being, um, you know, real strong men, Douglas really seemed to be frustrated with Lincoln. Why was that? Well, I think that he wanted Lincoln quickly. You know, he, he rose to uh, prominence during the Lincoln-Douglas debates, and he's been speaking before and had that great reunion speech. And all this time, he indicated he wanted slaves to be free, but how far would he go to make it happen? He knew slavery was wrong, but what would he do to make it 
uh, come to an end. And Douglas was upset. He's like, why don't you just end it? How, you know, how dare you push for colonization? How dare you, after getting elected, wait and offer a deal that you keep slavery together if you just come back into the union? We're not going to demand that you get rid of your slaves. How dare you? Uh, you realize these are real lives and, and this is real. Uh, human servitude is the worst part, uh, the worst existence you could have. But Lincoln was, in, was dealing with the reality. He knew that he's president of the United States. If he said, I'm going to end slavery, not only does he not uh, have a union to fight with, he doesn't even get elected president. So he talks about ending the, the fugitive slave law. He talked uh, against, against the Kansas-Missouri Compromise. He talked about uh, the, the, the uh, erroneous, horrible Dred Scott decision. But he wasn't saying, I'm going to end slavery, because he knew America wasn't there anyway. So he was for freedom, but he wasn't for equality. He did not think blacks and whites were equal. By the time I think he's done with his presidency, I think he amends that, just, just judging by his actions, the way he relates to Frederick Douglass. You know, and the way he talks to my good friend, and there's nobody's opinion that matters more. He's not much of a panderer. So you got to feel you figure he really meant it. Are you a supporter on Patreon? If you had been, you could have submitted your own questions to Brian Kilmeade. Don't miss out on our next guest and our upcoming Civil War Relic giveaway by becoming a Patreon subscriber. Yes, we are actually giving away a true Civil War artifact. Be in the running by subscribing to Patreon by using the link in the show notes. Um, one thing I'd like to get into is, you know, everyone likes the movie Glory. We like seeing Morgan Freeman in that. Um, can we talk a little bit more about the obstacles and efforts to give black soldiers the chance to fight in the uniform of the United States for the freedom of their people? A lot of people at the time did not want to fight with blacks. They didn't trust them. They also said they were afraid of insurrections, like the one in Haiti that killed so many French. And they said, if we, if we arm African-Americans, they're going to be so angry, they're going to kill everybody. So can they be trusted? You know, uh, a lot of them uneducated. Are they going to be disciplined? Are they going to be good fighters? Are they going to turn on us? And they had to be convinced to let them fight. Also, you know, there might be people who thought slavery was bad, but a lot of people didn't want equality. They never think everybody was equal. So they're like, yeah, really? I'm going to be fighting along with African-Americans. We're the superior race. That's what they were born into. You know, that's the culture that existed back then. Don't make excuses for it, but it just was. There were men of their times. And they said they wanted to fight to get the union back together. They weren't necessarily fighting originally, in most cases, for slavery. But white, uh, the Confederacy was to keep their way of life. And the union was technically eventually, yeah. But if you ask them early on, are we fighting to free the slaves? They'd go, no, that's not why I'm sacrificing. My life was good. But seven states left the union. There's a draft. I got to go. And I got to fight to put this country back together. But then as things wore on, they realized that's exactly what they were fighting for. And as uh, blacks would slip out of the, uh, the South and come North, they looked at it as contraband, but they would be allowed to stay. And then after a while, it's like, why are we wasting this resource? We have, you know, 200,000 men that want to fight. We really can't afford, we've already lost tens of thousands. And if they if we're fighting, let them fight. And then they say, yeah, we'll keep them all together, give them white officers. And the 54th Massachusetts Infantry was the, the, the major uh, unit that was put together and they would end up fighting and fighting with great valor and, and glory. And people were quickly assuaged to say, these guys were fighting, they're fearless. And I think they won over a lot of the respect. So when this war came to an end for people that fought with them, I think they really felt differently, but they were treated horribly with capture. They were tortured or re-entered into servitude. So that was, you know, not even, there are rules in war. And that was one of them that they didn't, they weren't afforded those uh, same 
the luxuries, the same war rules. If you, you know, how dare you pick up arms against a white man if you're North, Northern, a Union uh, force member. And that was wrong and Douglas fought against that. So eventually the more, the more they fought, the more people they won over. And Douglas had his two sons in the army in the 54th. So he's not telling other people to do what his family's not. All this talk about USCTs reminds me that our sponsor, The Badge Maker, sells 9th, 10th, 18th, 24th, and 25th Corps badges. What a great way to represent these men who accomplished so much. Or maybe you wish to show your support for Lincoln with an election of 1861 token. As a fan of Peter Hart, as you listeners will know, I'm looking forward to The Badge Maker producing replicas of the Fort Sumter badge. Don't miss out. Use the link in the show notes to learn more. Uh, did Lincoln's view on the role of black people in the military evolve? Absolutely. Uh, in the beginning, he said, no, you know, let's not let's not divide the country further. Let the North just fight and make sure these guys don't violate the Constitution and secede. Seven countries dropped out. We start the war and then it's not going well. They think it's going to be over in 90 days. It doesn't. Then they start losing a lot. Then he's like, you know, wait a second. We should really let the African-Americans fight for their freedom. And why not? And then Seward said, hey, wait, slow down. It looks desperate. Wait for a win. After a big win, then that we make the call. And Tatum happens. It was, a, it was a bloody win, but it was a win. He makes the call. Douglas is relieved. Asked to go see him. Together, they end up working together, recruit more African-Americans. Douglas goes in, demands that they be paid the same, demands that they be treated the same if captured. So it was really a relationship where both, they both made each other better. I think that in the end, Douglas realized that Lincoln wasn't delaying because he was lazy or um, worried. He was trying to be smart about it. And, and he was. And he had to deal with the political reality. Uh, reality if I had a paraphrase, he said, you know, if he had done quickly, emancipated all the slaves and fought the war, he'd have no country to put back together. Uh, I'd love to dive into that actual first meeting when they first met. Can you paint that picture for us? What was that like? Well, Douglas uh, gets urged to go, you know, you got these complaints about Lincoln. You see, he's fighting the war you want him to fight. You don't like the way he's doing it. Why don't you go see him? And he does. You know, he sees, uh, goes into Washington. It looks like hell on earth. All these wounded, banged up soldiers, a lot of homeless on the streets. The war zone was just a few miles away. And he waits online. First, he goes see the Secretary of Defense, then Secretary of War Stanton. He is received. They talk. They talk about recruiting and maybe making him an officer in the Army. Uh, and he said, only if I can get in the officer, I want equal pay. And I want a certain situation, which is pretty amazing to think about in, you know, 1863. And then he gets online to the White House. He's prepared to spend a day, maybe two days waiting. He puts his card in, tells everybody who he is. They know who he is. When Lincoln finds out he's there, he probably waited two minutes. And Lincoln says, come up and see me. And he walks right through sitting senators, everybody just about white waiting online. Go up there, go seize him. And he says, uh, my friend, Frederick Douglass. And to paraphrase, he looked at him and he could see that this man had worn every minute of the war on his face. He was honest and he could trust him. You could just feel the goodness come out of him. And he sat there and they leveled with each other. We don't know the exact minutes of the meeting, but it went extraordinarily well. He honestly believed and he said that his name, Honest Abe, really was deserved because he thought he saw a guy. Every old doubts that he had that this guy was truly uh, was he really a racist because he brought up colonization? Was he truly in for the freedom of all slaves because he didn't immediately free them all? He said this guy he knew that he could trust him what he said, and he understood that he wasn't racist. And even back then, he wasn't racist. And then they would work together, meet two more times. One time they could have met in between, but Douglas had 
a previous engagement. And then the last time they would meet would be at his at the ball after winning the, the election again. And he wins re-election and they meet in the house and Douglas almost couldn't get in. They said, there's no, no blacks are allowed here. He said, absolutely. When Lincoln finds out I'm here, he'll send for me. Sure enough, he did. And when he walks up, he looks at him and says, my friend Douglas, what did you think of the speech? He goes, don't worry about it. You got a lot of people here to see you. Who cares what I think? He goes, there's nobody's opinion that I care more about. What did you think of the speech? And basically, to paraphrase, he thought it was a brilliant effort. And he loved every, every word of it. Even though Lincoln was heavily criticized, it was too short. They should have talked about the end of the war. They should have talked about redemption and revenge. And, Doug, and Lincoln was, nope, we're done. There's nobody to celebrate here. 600,000 people died. How do we celebrate that? What I find interesting is, as we mentioned, you know, Douglas was frustrated with Lincoln in the beginning. And then when they finally meet in person and have that conversation, that sort of goes away. It's amazing what happens when people actually talk face to face. Yeah, good point. That's a great point. Yeah, with face to face, black, white, inequality, slavery, only one percent of African Americans, blacks were in the North. So a lot of them had almost no experience. They just knew of the stories. But Douglas was a real living, breathing embodiment of slavery, had the marks on his back to prove it. So when slavery, when people are confronted with the evils of what it was, almost everybody would feel like John Quincy Adams or John Adams, you know, who said that, you know, we can't do this. It's an abomination. Alexander Hamilton felt the same way. Even Jefferson, as I have in the prologue, Jefferson, Madison, and Washington, you know, all made it clear that this is bad. We just don't know how to get out of it. We were born into it. We didn't create it. It's happening in every continent. You know, we, we continued it. We didn't end it, which is terrible, but we didn't start it. Right, right. Going back to a little bit what you talked about after Antietam and the Emancipation Proclamation, I know the Emancipation Proclamation is commonly misunderstood. Um, can you talk about uh, what that was and the means of war strategy? And you also mentioned the word contraband. Yeah, I mean, when you uh, announce the Emancipation Proclamation, it doesn't involve the border states, uh, Maryland and Delaware and, uh, and the others. It, they were not free if you're there. Why? Because they were teetering on the edge. If, they, if, they, if the majority of Marylanders didn't see that the evils of slavery back then, not the judge to know. If they weren't sure how they'd go, you can't risk and say, everybody, all your slaves are free. Well, all those people on the edge who are staying out of it, get in it on the other side. And suddenly your three to one advantage becomes a 50-50 advantage. And already you're losing with most of the military officers over there. So the word was, hey, we're going to fight in your territory. You guys do what you want. Border states are border states. You have a population that's mixed on this issue. So just let us fight and win and we'll deal with you later. So that's where the emancipation gradually would go to would be transferred all the way to the South to those slaves. Again, there was a hope all along the way that they would just come back into the Union. And if you do that and free everybody right away, again, there's too much unknowns. Again, Lincoln's playing it perfectly. You would think he spent his whole life at leadership class, um, but he didn't. He's in the Midwest out of nowhere. His, his main leadership job was once he got it. He uh, was an excellent lawyer, very ethical, very smart, uh, extremely well-read. Not a great military background, just in militia for a couple of years, but man, he understood the military, had a great instinct for it, and he certainly understood leadership. It's getting cold outside, and that grocery trek just got a little harder. Thank goodness for Instacart. Have that turkey, pumpkin, and sweet potato all delivered to your doorstep. Use the link in the show notes and make an account now. And not only will you be knocking out those chores, but you'll be supporting the show at the same time at no extra cost. 
So I think this goes back to that perfect timing that Lincoln has with everything. He's very good with timing. Um, can you talk about how Douglas grew to understand and appreciate, you know, the president's timing? I mean, I got a, a great quote. It's really, it's really said at the end when the dedicated of an 1876 statue of Lincoln that's now controversial because it shows an African-American in chains and standing up below Lincoln, uh, the freedom statute or freedmen statue. And basically, you should probably read it verbatim, but basically he said he was frustrated. He talked about how frustrated he was with Lincoln at the pace in which he was moving this war, demanding freedom for all, demanding equality. And he talked about his frustration but for a man of his times, with the responsibility that he had, he had to show tremendous patience. And if anything, he was right on time. And for Frederick Douglass, he had no time. I mean, he wasted the first 18 years of his life in servitude. Every day in slavery where others were experiencing what he was experiencing would be too much for him to tolerate and absorb. So that was the timing of Lincoln. Timing to allow African-Americans to fight in the war. Timing to unleash them into the battle. You know, uh, it's wrong, but his his olive branch prior uh, during his inauguration speech was another time he wanted to see if I tried everything I could before I started this war or allowed this war to start. And that was the timing of it. And also the timing for it to run a second campaign. The second campaign, he basically run as an abolitionist where the first time he's like, don't worry, keep your slaves. The second time, no. We're going to run not only on freedom, but we're going to run on giving African-Americans the right to vote. And then later, Grant would do it because Andrew Johnson was useless and a bad human being. Uh, he would have to give 14, 15, and 16, 13, 14, and 15, which would be citizenship, voting, uh, citizenship, freedom, citizenship, and voting. That would be executed later on. But if he did it right away, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have been accepted. He wouldn't have got the votes. I really like that you, you mentioned that because something I – you know, growing up, every time you open a, a book on presidents, I used to read about how horrible Grant was. Grant was just a horrible president, always. Yeah, just one liner, me. just a bad president. Yeah. You know, can you talk a little bit more about um, uh, Grant? Yeah, I, I'm in awe of Grant every day because of the human qualities that he showed. Sometimes people are just so strong, they're so smart, uh, they're so good looking, and you go, wow, that's awesome. That's you know, that's not me, but I appreciate that, that there's that person or the rock, let's say the rock, who's got a great intellect, but let's say he was the smartest guy on the planet as well as being the strongest and most humble with the best smile. Okay. So then you have Grant who's five foot eight, uh, smoked cigars, didn't comb his hair, all rumpled, master horseman, average intellect, but kind of stumbled into going to the academy because it didn't look like any other option, was at the bottom of a small class uh, back then. He was a quartermaster, not a big general in the Mexican War. So he was in charge of organizing, not a big glorious job, but man, was it important. Obviously, he was born an alcoholic. It was not his fault. Once he had one drink, we all know guys like that. He had to have 25. And it was not, you know, to me, it is the, this is not a guy who liked to party. This is a guy with it was born with a disease. But it was far, they caught far, it was far worse than, uh, they told us it was far worse than it actually was. Uh, this guy was fearless. He had an unbelievable uh, uh, vision of how to fight a war. What he used to do, they used to say they used to be able to look at a battlefield. Now think about this. Without any elevation, without any air flight, without any drone technology, he'd be able to stare at a battlefield and be able to know where to put his men. 
uh, where they should fight, where they should probe, when they should retreat, uh, most of it on instinct. And then he looked so unassuming, was not was so unpolitical that he would allow other people would take credit for his great victories. And people would talk behind his back that he's this drunk and alcoholic and uh, he can't be trusted. And, and meanwhile, he just kept doing his job, sleeping with the guys in his uniform among the officers, yet uh, unflappable in times of uh, war and in times of stress, yet just as comfortable with the men as he would uh, with his family, uh, as he would be with the president. So to me, he is an everyman American, totally flawed like everybody. But man, his, his ethics and values at the right time for America, his fearlessness in battle, his ability to lead, to, to envision uh, an outcome before it happened, to not let politics get him down or consume him. It's amazing how much politics existed in this war. Here they're trying to win for survival and everyone's worried about credit and medals and not losing. Uh, as opposed to we had, there is no tomorrow. We have to win this. Who cares who gets credit? But and then when he has this epic fall after the Mexican War during the peacetime, when he's an officer uh, between his drinking out of boredom, he ends up being told, why don't you just leave the military? He comes out, he's got no job. He's got to work for his younger brother as an assistant tanner. And, you know, he's not feeling on top of the world. His self-esteem is not great. When the Civil War starts, he's like, hey, I'm a captain pretty esteemed but you guys liked me before i had that one problem and he kicked me out can you get a shot and sure enough in the midwest he got some shots and with all the other generals failing lincoln kept an eye on him and through pure merit and performance he catches the attention of just about everybody and lincoln sees that again another great person with great values hardly perfect uh grant there's not an ounce of racism in his body his wife's family had a slave someone gave a slave as a gift right away he goes to court says, free this guy. I don't want him. Freeze him. That's it. So two extraordinary men at the right time, two unassuming uh, people who didn't have this great lineage. There's no connections in Virginia that got him to the uh, White House. Just pure performance. If you're great and you believe in this country and you got some talent and you have ambition, you can succeed. So to me, he's an everyman with extraordinary success record. The problem is he trusted too many people and to review his presidency, he put a lot of people in power, a lot of other people to put people in power that were there just to be corrupt and was taken advantage of. And in the end, that's how he lost all his money. A guy that fought the Civil War, that looked up to him, that was making a lot of money, he invested. He was treated, thought of so highly. Other people said, if it's good enough for Grant, it's good enough for me. They put their life savings in. I'm not smart enough to know exactly what this guy did wrong, but essentially it seems like a Ponzi scheme. And Grant lost all his money. So here he is with throat cancer, scrambling, living, uh, I guess, for free in the, the top floor of a house somewhere, scrambling to leave his family with some type of legacy by writing his memoirs. They would scrape his throat out with a razor to allow the, to get the tumor to retreat while he put together what many people believe is the best memoir ever. And he puts it together. Mark Twain comes in, gets him out of another bad book contract, rips it up guides him through, through yellow pads. He wrote it all down. You could see his writing and he ends up able to leave a legacy for his family. But unfortunately, like you and I went to social studies class and we were told, you know, hey, he was a great general. A lot of people died under his command, but he was a terrible president, which just isn't true. Ron Chernow did an incredible job with that. And he said, they, people tell him, historians discuss, that if you're to put your money on any political figure, uh, historical figure, 
in American history, put your money on Grant because the more they study, the better he looks. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it seems to me that you got a great trio there of hard chargers, uh, Lincoln, oh, yeah. Douglas, and, and Grant. I know that they always tell history guys, you know, we talk about it, not to dive into the what ifs, but I would love to ask you, how might America be different today if Lincoln was not assassinated and was able to work with guys like Douglas and future President Grant after the war? Yeah, I think the, that's the most important thing. I think that with, if, uh, if Lincoln survives the 1860s, gets to complete his second term, who knows, he maybe even a third term. Keep in mind, he'd probably be, what, probably 59. Uh, if he's able to do that third term, too, he really had a vision for where America could go. I think he would have done his best. And, you know, at the war, as a wartime president, he did great. You know, he kept rotating out generals. He didn't stick with a guy too long. He got a bad hand. Keep moving, keep moving like FDR. And he did it. But he would have been a great peacetime president because I think it would have instilled a lot of values. I think he understood that you had to flood the South with teachers and housing. Right away, you had to provide a transition that was never happening. Andrew Johnson had no intention of backing up the results of the Civil War. They created so much carnage, death, and destruction. It's unquantifiable, unthinkable. It's unbelievable. Even 200 years later, it's, uh, it's tough to think about. It angers you to such a degree. But the civil rights were never fulfilled. Reconstruction was never executed effectively. So therefore, uh, African-Americans suffered in this country far too much, far too long, far much longer than they ever should have until the 18, till the 1960s. What drives me crazy is, uh, as much as what you said is right, what would have happened had Lincoln survived? I also think we've made unbelievable progress, especially compared to the rest of the world. There's a reason why all nationalities want to come here, not just whites, not just blacks, not just as banks, but everybody including over a million uh, Africans, I think over the last 10 years, over a million. If America is such a racist, terrible place, why does everyone still want to come? Right. And, you know, now you open a very interesting door and I'd like to talk about it. Do you think Lincoln and Douglas would be happy with what they're seeing today? Yeah, I, I think that I think that some parts would be unbelievable. You think you got the most famous people in the country from uh, Michael Jordan to LeBron James to Barack Obama to Condoleezza Rice, recently to uh, deceased Colin Powell. I think you have the best brain surgeon in the world, Ben Carson. This is off the top of my head. You have uh, sports leagues. They require that they, they have the, who are the and athletes who are the most sought after endorsers of products, which means they hold in high esteem in this country of all races and creeds. The power in which African-Americans have earned I think it's tremendous. There's gains. Yeah. Inequality in school. Absolutely. Is there, is there ways to go? Yes. But I think in many ways he'd be extremely, uh, they'd be extremely pleased and maybe frustrated that people don't appreciate where we've come from, what we've accomplished, how we weren't even supposed to make it as a country, how we weren't supposed to survive the civil war, how uh, our constitution was something we had to live up to not change. And that our founding fathers laid a grand foundation, while not a perfect foundation for where we are today. I think he'd be upset. They would imagine they'd be upset about the lack of appreciation for how great the country is, especially compared to what they left. I think another thing uh, you mentioned some great names, but I think it's very important to also look at places like in law enforcement, also fire department, things like that, where you have names like Almaleki, you know, Apucaduro, you know, Perez. There's such a, a great wealth of um, uh, all nationalities represented in all these organizations as well, you know. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I think we're coming to be about that time, but thank you so much for coming on the show. 
and, and doing this. I really appreciate talking to you. No problem. Appreciate the time. Have a great day. You too. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. While you visited a Civil War Trails location, shopped for core badges made by the badge maker, standing in line to vote for Lincoln, marching shoulder to shoulder in the ranks of the gallant 54th, or whenever you listen to podcasts. Please go check out our YouTube channel. We've got more videos coming out. I have a video coming out on my review of the best Confederate primary sources you can read. So go over there and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Link in the show notes. You can also follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. All these things help spread the word of untold civil war. Thank you and see you on the next one.